Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you are with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, I do want to mention this great resource called the U version of the Bible. It's an absolutely free app filled with amazing resources. You can search for any topic that interests you and you will find out what the Word of God has to say about that. And if you look under events, you'll find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Also, when you're in your favorite podcast player, likewise, search for Arlington FM Church. There you'll find all of our teaching content to listen to, re-listen to, share it with friends. Hope you'll do that. Uh, well, we're going to jump into our teaching series. Uh, we're in a, a series called Love's Reach. And uh, the under uh, the subtitle of the series is How Our World Changes When We Care like Christ. And uh, here's the foundational truth this entire series is based upon. It's that God reaches to people in need. The God of the universe, the creator, reaches to people who are in need, especially when their need is for him. Uh, I love how the prophet Ezekiel kind of glimpsed this truth about God. It was in a season when Israel's leaders weren't doing what God had called them to do, which was to care for his sheep like he does. And so uh, God uh, kind of interjects and makes it clear what his heart towards people in need is. He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself, I myself will search for my sheep and I will look after them. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered. I will search for the lost and I will bring back the strays. Uh, you know, this is, a, a, again, a glimpse into the heart of God, that when people are lost, God looks for them. He, he wants to care for them. He wants to rescue them, meet their needs. And he says, I myself will, uh, will do that. I will bring back my strays. Well, we know that when, uh, when Jesus came, uh, he demonstrated, he set the prime example of what it looks like to carry the heart of God into our day-to-day -day lives. And we've been looking at Luke's uh, writings, his gospel, his sequel, the book of Acts, because Luke, in particular, traces this uh, reaching heart of God, demonstrated through the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, this is kind of the, uh, the zenith of uh, Luke's gospel, where he, he looks at that trajectory of the life of Jesus to search for and to care for his sheep. He says in Luke uh, chapter 19, the Son of Man came for this very reason, to seek and to save the lost. And, uh, you know, Luke has this one wonderful chapter, uh, chapter 15, where he kind of highlights this truth about God demonstrated through the person and the work of Jesus. He tells three stories, parables, the parable of a lost coin, the parable of a lost sheep, and the parable of a lost son. And all of them uh, underscoring this truth that when something that's valuable is lost, you look for it, <laughs> you search for it with everything that you are, you make it a priority, and when you find it, there's great joy and celebration. Well, uh, here's kind of the, uh, the mind bender in this whole uh, idea that God reaches for people who are in need, especially when their need is for him, demonstrated through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, is now... Uh, God intends for that reaching heart of his to be expressed through his people, through followers of Christ. And this is where Luke goes in his sequel, the book of Acts. He, he begins uh, this uh, 
this writing by saying in my first book, writing to his friend Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, and hear this, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. Uh, so uh, Luke's emphasis is that this reaching heart of God for people who are lost, so wonderfully lived out through the person of Jesus, is now entrusted to his followers. And, uh, you know, we've been kind of looking at this, uh, this idea. Uh, how is it that not only the world changes when we take on that heart of God entrusted to us by Jesus, but how does our world change? And uh, we looked at this proverb last week, Proverbs eleven twenty four says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And, uh, you know, that's just one, one of many ways of saying that when we choose to care for people the way God does, the way Jesus demonstrated, our world gets bigger, our lives get better, and uh, that happens to those we care about the way Jesus does, and it happens in our own heart and our own lives. Well, we've kind of uh, highlighted why is it that we opt out of this bigger and better life, caring for people the way that God does and Jesus demonstrated? Why do we choose not to do that? And some of the things that come out of my own heart is hoarding. You know, this is keeping spiritual riches to ourselves when we should be freely giving them away. Judgmentalism, we become uh, judgmental. We assume that people who believe in God and follow Christ are more valuable than those who don't. Uh, fear and shame, our, our own sense of brokenness, we allow our flaws and our failures to determine what we have to give to others. And that's a, that's a wrong equation. And then finally, our priorities. Uh, we just decide that reaching people who need God is, is optional behavior for people of faith, when in fact, it should be the center of our devotion to Christ. And uh, thank God, he retools people who have mixed up priorities and wrong views of what, what matters in this life. And so we've been looking, uh, as Luke portrays, uh, the example of Peter, kind of the, the representative of Christ's followers, and how Peter got retooled to where he began to share the heart of God, the life that Jesus modeled. He began to share those priorities. Uh, we're told that uh, when Jesus called Peter, he said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. After uh, he blew his mind with this miraculous catch of fish when no one was catching anything, all to demonstrate that God wants to use you to bring people to himself. And so uh, Peter's response and his, uh, his uh, co-workers, they pulled up their boats on shore. They left everything and they followed him. And, uh, you know, it demonstrates that reaching people became Peter's primary occupation. It wasn't an add-on or an accessory. It became the focal point of his life. And uh, we, we highlighted this truth that when reaching people who need God becomes the center of our devotion to Christ, it becomes our primary way of saying, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, I believe in you, I want to follow you. When that becomes the center, uh, when reaching others in his name becomes the center of our devotion, our lives become bigger and they become better. Well, uh, after this miraculous catch of fish, uh, Luke kind of unfolds, a curriculum 
what it looks like to care for people the way that God does and the way that Jesus demonstrated. And so we saw uh, last week, there was a healing of a man who had leprosy and uh, this wonderful statement as this a man who would have been considered an outlier, an outcast, unclean, untouchable. And we're told that Jesus's response to caring for this man is he reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And, uh, you know, we lifted up this wonderful truth. When we care for people the way Jesus does, no one is untouchable. No one is considered outside the boundaries of God's desire to express compassion and mercy. And then Luke uh, follows the miraculous catch of fish, the healing of a leper with a, a third episode. And in this one, this crazy episode, these friends lower their paralyzed friend through the roof in order to get him beyond the crowd and in the presence of Jesus. And uh, Jesus, again, uh, is recorded as having this response to that kind of radical faith in action. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. And, uh, you know, here's the truth we highlighted from that episode is that uh, when we do everything short of sinning in order to get our friends close to Jesus, wonderful things happen. In fact, Luke says remarkable things took place. Uh, this guy experienced the friendship of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, and the healing of Jesus, all because of their faith. Well, uh, as Luke pieces together these episodes, the miraculous catch of fish, the healing of a leper, the radical faith of these friends. He caps it off. This is like, a, this is like the last class in a master series. And uh, this is the one you don't want to miss because it kind of pulls all the others together. We're told that uh, after this, after these uh, wonderful healings, uh, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, if you're a good Jewish person who wants to honor God, who wants to live a holy and a sanctified life, you read these words. Jesus passed a tax collector, and he said, follow me. This would have made your skin crawl. I mean, this guy was among uh, the reprobates who were ruining our country, ruining our religion, defiling uh, the holy God, they would have seen this tax collector as being representative of that kind of God-rejecting lifestyle. And yet we're told that as Jesus passed him, he said, follow me. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. And then, uh, as if to make matters worse, then Levi held a great party a banquet at his house in a large crowd of likewise reprobate outcast people, uh, tax collectors and others. You know, these were all the people you would look at and say, these are, these are the groups that are ruining our country. And uh, here they uh, formed a big gathering, a big banquet, and Jesus is the, uh, the guest of honor. And the, the word that would have come to, the mi come to mind for these uh, law-abiding Jewish citizens would have been disgusting. That's disgusting. And so uh, the, the, the leaders of the, uh, of the Jewish people, the Pharisees, the teachers, uh, they have a reaction. We're said, uh, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law 
who belonged to their sect complained. The word literally is muttered. They slandered what was going on with Jesus and his followers. They said, this is disgusting. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You know, uh, these guys, the Pharisees, are kind of set up as a foil in the Gospels to highlight the truth of what God set in motion through the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, they do ask some pretty good questions. You know, I read a book once called The, the One Beautiful Book of Questions, The Book of Beautiful Questions. And the whole point of it was we can learn so much more in life if we ask good questions than if we only uh, are interested in airing our opinions. And of all the questions the Pharisees asked, this one's really good. They asked, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What's up with that? Well, here's how Jesus responded. He answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Uh, I have not come to call righteous people, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. You know, that's a, that's a great response. According to Jesus, uh, church is not about the good people of society gathering together to govern the heathen and bring about the kingdom of God. According to Jesus, churches where sick people gather and where Jesus comes to impart health to them and get them on a better trajectory. Uh, here's a question I'd like to ask you, and I really would encourage you to think about it, uh, especially if you're someone who considers yourself a Christian uh, someone who's been saved by grace, uh, someone who is going to live forever in God's kingdom. Uh, here's a question I'd like you to think about as we go into the rest of this uh, teaching today. Do you try to follow the teachings of Jesus? Uh, ponder that for a minute. Do you try to follow uh, what Jesus taught, uh, the values he held in front of us, the priorities he, uh, he said we ought to live by, and what he exemplified in his life, well, uh, it, you know, the truth of the matter is, if you're going to follow the teachings of Jesus, uh, what he's saying is, look, uh, here's the reason I came. My mission uh, wasn't to gather good moral people. In fact, the truth is, all people are desperately sick and in need of God's healing. But Jesus said, I came uh, to those who are outcasts, who are marginalized, who are seen as the true reprobates. Jesus said, those are the people that I came for because uh, they're desperately in need of the revelation of God's love and compassion. You know, if you're going to follow the teaching of Jesus, it really, it, what he's saying here is that a church should be more like a hospital than a country club. It, it should be a place where people who are desperately in need of the grace and the mercy and the compassion embodied in Christ, that reaching heart of God that finds his lost sheep and rescues them. Uh, church is that place where all of that uh, takes place. You know, I had uh, uh, one congreg one church. Uh, I love their slogan statement. It says, uh, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. You know, they get it. They understand exactly what Jesus was saying here. It's not the healthy who need a physician, it's the sick. Well, uh, for some people, those words are too, uh, too loosey-goosey. They're not holy or harsh enough. 
They don't call people to that repentance to a changed life when in fact God himself has said, it's my kindness that leads people to repentance. But uh, these Pharisees, they weren't buying it, so they had a response. They said to him, look, uh, John's disciples, whom we know you approve of John the Baptist, they often fast and they pray. And so the disciples, they're basically saying, so do we. We often, we're rigorous, we're disciplined, we're devoted, we're dedicated to honoring God with our lives. But yours, they go on eating and drinking. It seems like they're having too good of a time. What's up with that? We're disciplined. Your guys are not. And, uh, you know, that's uh, kind of reminded me of a story I heard. A guy went on a tour of the Holy Land in Israel. And uh, he was with a tour group where the guy was particularly rigorous, the tour guide, studious. And uh, he would often debunk a lot of the traditions, you know, people like to say here that uh, this road to Jericho is where uh, Jesus healed a blind man, but there's no evidence supporting that. And one thing after another, he would minimize and debunk. And he said along the way, he saw this other tour group and their guide was much more enthusiastic. And he would say things like, you know, we can't be sure, but we think somewhere right in this area was where Jesus himself, you know, turned the water into wine and uh, introduced his wonderful ministry to the world. And as the day went on, he kept overhearing this other group. The guy thought to himself, you know, I wish I was in that group. And that's kind of what's happening with the Pharisees, the disciples of Jesus. Uh, they see these, uh, this, this renegade uh, group, tax collectors, sinners, and uh, they seem to be enjoying themselves in their interaction with Jesus and not not displaying the kind of discipline that the Pharisees have come to expect that God uh, demands of his people. Well, Jesus has an answer to that as well. He says, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And here's kind of the essence of what Jesus is saying. You know, all of these disciplines really should have one goal in mind, to open our hearts to the presence of God and the influence of God. That really is the, the, the chief end of any spiritual discipline, is how do I open up my life and my world, my mind and my heart, my actions, to the influence of the ever-present God. And Jesus' point is this, uh, why in the world would the friends of the bridegroom fast when he's with them, God is with them, and they're enjoying his presence? Kind of like this, uh, you know, uh, weddings, one of the highlights of life, especially the wedding of a good friend. You think of the setting, you know, uh, the wedding's been on the calendar for over a year. People have made their plans, scheduled their vacations, the best men, the maids of honor. Uh, the whole wedding party has traveled from all over the, the country, uh, to be together uh, with uh, this couple during this special time in life. And, uh, you know, they're gathering, they're beginning to make the plans for the week, finalize details. And someone says, hey, I've got an idea. Uh, how about we all go without food and eating for the next week? You know, we could mark this occasion with spiritual devotion and discipline. And uh, you'd usher that guy out. He said, not going to happen. And this is a time of celebration. 
a time of enjoying friendships and relationships and the good things of life and uh, that's exactly what Jesus is saying in response to these rigorous religious uh, leaders. I'm going to ask you a question at this point. Uh, what in the world would you think would compel someone to choose an angry, judgmental form of faith or religion? Uh, what, what compels people to go down that road and to think that this is what God expects of his devoted followers is that we would be angry and judgmental at a world that is uh, dissing God at every possible uh, opportunity. Uh, here's another question. Why do we sometimes often uh, have a difficult time living in the joy of our salvation? You know, the Bible is filled with uh, invitations to enter into the joy of our salvation, that this is the day that God has made. We can rejoice and be glad in it. Well, as you're pondering those questions, uh, Jesus has a couple of stories. Uh, you know, he typically uh, tells a parable uh, to take advantage of the teaching opportunity, which has arisen in this case because he's being questioned, why in the world would you uh, eat and drink and enjoy fellowship with people whose lives look like they're uh, contrary to what God desires uh, in our lives. Well, Jesus told them two stories. He told them this parable. Look, no one tears a piece out of a new uh, garment to patch an old one. You don't go and buy a brand new piece of clothing and cut off a patch of it and use it to repair uh, old uh, clothing. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And, uh, you know, here's what Jesus is saying. That God is not trying to patch up the Old Testament framework. Uh, he's not looking for more intense behavior modification. God has come to do something entirely new. It's a new covenant. He's come to uh, give us a new heart, a new spirit. And uh, he's never uh, into just trying to patchwork the old He's revolutionizing and bringing something entirely new. He goes on. He says, look, also no one pours new wine into new wineskins. Uh, you've got to have more elasticity than that. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskin will be ruined. No, he says, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Uh, Jesus brought something entirely new. And then this uh, poignant uh, final statement that uh, really would have been jolting uh, to everyone listening to these stories. And Jesus says, no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say to themselves, the old is better. And uh, yeah, this is really a damning statement on self-generated religion, is that there's something attractive about it. Uh, there's something um, appealing to thinking that uh, we've made ourselves, cleaned ourselves up, worked at our devotion, we've become a little bit better than the riffraff in society. And I read a, a kind of a description of what the whole idea of scapegoating is, and it's literally finding others who are not quite as uh, on par with us so that we can make ourselves, ourselves feel better about who we are. It's a crazy equation, uh, but so is uh, trying to muster up our own goodness uh, 
designing a way of doing faith that is contrary to the teaching of Jesus. Jesus. And here's the foundational truth that comes out of this, this uh, summary the episode that Luke includes in his curriculum on how to care for others the way that God does is uh, people who care like Jesus don't expect sick people to make themselves healthy. People who care like Jesus cares for sinners like us, they don't expect sick people to make themselves healthy before deciding to love them well. That would be totally dysfunctional and broken. You know, you don't open up a hospital and expect people to make themselves well before they come into the doors. No, they come as they are because they believe there's a place they can find healing. Well, as we end uh, this, uh, this episode of uh, Love's Reach, you know, we go back to this question, how does our world change when we care like Jesus? And just a quick recap, well, Luke shows us uh, how uh, our world changes when we care for others the way that Jesus cared for people who needed God. There's this miraculous catch of fish demonstrating the generous heart of God. He's just looking for individuals who will open up and let him pour his goodness, his kindness, his riches through them to others who desperately need him. Uh, there's the leper cleansed, uh, indicating uh, the willingness of God to reach people whom others consider untouchable. And that when we step into that realm, uh, we become the extension of the accepting touch of Jesus Christ. There's this radical faith uh, exemplified by these friends who broke through a roof in order to lower their friend, and uh, the world changes. Uh, people experience friendship of Jesus. They experience the forgiveness of Jesus. They experience the healing of Jesus when we love like Jesus did. And then this final episode, uh, when the sick are prioritized, uh, God brings entire networks of relationships into his reach uh, because that is exactly why the Son of God came, was to uh, be near and to, uh, to touch uh, people with desperate needs. Well, as we go to prayer, uh, I was reminded this week of uh, a young boy. In fact, he was only three years old several weeks ago. He wandered into the, the wilderness uh, in Montana, and uh, there he was gone for two complete days. Imagine a three-year-old on his own, and uh, they managed to find this young boy. He had uh, wandered onto a property, uh, found a shed, and <laughs> went into the shed, and there he stayed for two days until he was found. And uh, someone once made the quote, you know, it's a, it's a terrible thing to be lost, but even worse than this feeling of being lost is the feeling that no one is looking for you. And I have to believe that's really true. Uh, the thing that's worse than being lost is to have this thought that no one cares. Uh, there's no one searching for you. And that is exactly the opposite of God's heart. He says, I myself will find my lost people. I will rescue them. I will care for them. Uh, demonstrated uh, through the good shepherd, Jesus, who gave everything uh, to reach people far from God and then entrusting uh, this mission, this commission uh, to his followers. Would you pray with me? 
Father, thank you for your heart, for the world. Uh, we can look and see the chaos, the brokenness. We can find all kinds of reasons uh, to want to distance ourselves, uh, want to scapegoat, uh, find the people that are re the reasons why our world is going so bad and nothing could be further from your heart, Lord. Uh, you, you look for those uh, who are distant from you. You look for those who have lifestyles that are self-sabotaging and you go and you be with them. You don't wait uh, for them to come to you. In fact, you befriend them. You offer your friendship and your forgiveness and your healing before they ever uh, make changes. And Lord, we just want to thank you. That's the kind of grace that we live in. And you said, uh, freely we've received, freely we can give. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, through Luke's curriculum, uh, something would open up in our hearts and our minds. And we would find ourselves uh, coming to that focus that Peter had we're reaching others in your name became the central vocation of his life. And Lord, as we choose to respond like that, our world indeed becomes bigger and better. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.